0: Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm Dave Homewood. The following recording that you're about to listen to was recorded live on the evening of March the 30th 2012 at Brendan Dare's Hangar at Ahakia. Brendan very kindly invited forum members of the Wings Over New Zealand forum to come and visit... And have a forum meet at his hangar that evening, uh, the night before the big air show at Hakia on 31st of March. What you'll hear in this recording is Brendan giving a, a talk as we walk around his hangar. He's telling us about his various aircraft and uh, visiting aircraft in the hangar. I'll turn it over now to Brendan on the night.
1: Now, just uh, start with uh, the wind deal here, which is Guy's air, if I only he flew it round from Taupo on Wednesday. Yeah, Yeah. 1400 he arrived Um, the Wingeal was in service with the Royal Australian Air Force uh, from 1956 and the last one was in service in 1994 1994, 1956 to 1994 there's a little bit of a similarity to the Piston Provost if you see it there Um, a little bit coincidental I think more than anything Guy wasn't it?
2: Yeah that's right it's uh, there were a few POMs involved in the design Uh, different engine the only similarity in regard is it's really got a tailwheel, yeah. but uh, it was used as a trainer, so people think they're the same.
1: Um, the the engine in it, as I recall, is a Pratt and Whitney Wasp Junior. 985s.
2: 985,
1: 480 horsepower. 50, 450. 450,
2: 450. The same as the Beaver, with a slightly different propeller. Yeah.
1: So that was basically an Australian, the, the main Australian trainer for. Pretty much nearly twenty years, effectively, eighteen years. Um, that particular one zero four is the oldest wind flying in the world. As a matter of interest. Um, it doesn't normally live here but it looks all right there, doesn't it? Yeah. Um it's a that particular one is a three seater, but I think it's normally it can be a four seater guy, is You isn't can it? put a modern yeah. now, but
2: it, when it was in the Australian Air Force they had the three seats so they could have, a, have an issue a student behind watching happening paper, Here's it? Some were facts. that's right this one you can see underneath uh, there's a few little white dots which is where the uh, OGS fuel or the phosphorus rockets went and it would carry a some
1: sort of a bommie would go under there it's very cleverly designed in the sense all of the cows open up um, yeah. they, on hinge, yeah, a guy probably will do that. And show you, it uh, opens right up, so it's very accessible, very easy to maintain, um, and a bit friendlier than some of the older designs. Certainly friendlier than the British designs. Oh, wow.
2: that on the leaf. And you can run it full power with those pedals open. Right. Engine changes are done with the cow's
1: eye. Designed <laughs> to be done in the field, maybe an hour and a half's time to change the engine. That's a So very much uh, designed for a job and did that job very well. And the Australians were very happy with them for a long time. And they were replaced by the air trainer CT4. Yeah, yep. replaced B by model. the B model CT4 air trainer. And of course now being replaced by PC9s. Pilatus PC9s, which is uh, Tucano like, look-alike type aircraft. So that's a little bit about the wind deal. Guy would be happy to answer any questions if you have any. Just fire away because I know a little much more about it than that.
2: Um, Guy, is this the same one that's currently on Trade
3: Me? Yeah. For yeah. Any chance? So Syndicate aircraft. Yeah. Th- yeah, for the four of <laughs> you, <here>, come on. Let's <laughs> <Just laughs> dig deep.
1: OK, so that's a uh, little bit about the wind deal. What, the next one to talk about is the little Harvard down the back there. Um, quite an interesting Harvard in many ways. There are lots of Harvards around us. You know there's about uh, uh, six or seven on base at the moment today, or seven or eight. Um, this particular one, NZ1037, was built in 1942. And it was sent out to New Zealand, and it's never left New Zealand. It's flown continuously since 1942, uninterrupted, right through to 2012. So it's been flying for 70 years, if I've done my maths right. 70-year flying history. It's never been rebuilt, never been restored, never been touched from the original, apart from a nice um, re-coating of silver on the top. Now, those of you that have been involved in the debate about what the Ford aircraft Control, Ford FAC Harvards were painted like, that one, the underside, has never been touched. Uh, And that is pretty much what they look like. That one, unfortunately, had some of the stenciling painted over when it was deluxed at Wanaka. Uh, We're going to restore some of that uh, later this year, some of the or the rest of the stenciling. But they had most of the stenciling removed, and they had no markings whatsoever underside uh, on the harvard. So that particular one has got a uh, a Pratt & Whitney WASP uh, of about 600 horsepower. Um, It's, as you can see, a variable speed propeller. It's got a supercharger and retractable undercarriage, all of those extra things that were thrown in to make it uh, harder for the pilot. The Harvard has got a, an interesting reputation. It's often called the pilot maker, and there's a very good reason for that. It's because it forces a pilot to fly well, because otherwise it punishes them. It's a very unforgiving aircraft at times. It's got some nasty attributes and some very positive attributes. It's a lovely airplane to fly, a bit harder to land, and if it stalls, it's got a very unpleasant stall because it always drops the wing and you never know which one. And if you don't correct that quickly, you're in trouble. <coughs> so it's a, a nice aeroplane. I've got you, I've got, done about 85 hours on it now. So I'm, psych- I'm half competent. So I'm looking forward to being fully competent at some stage before I die. Um, so that's the little bit about the Harvard. Those of you that uh, are familiar with the Harvards will know they make a lovely sound when they take off because the tips of the blades go through the sound barrier. It's an unusual in that the propeller is directly coupled to the engine. It doesn't go through any form of reduction at all, which explains the very high tip speeds. Um, the Spitfire blade tips, for example, are just below the speed of sound. They're about 680 miles an hour. They go around at full, full revs. So that's a little bit about the Harvard. The RNZAF used them in the Second World War as an advanced trainer. People would do about 60 hours on the Tiger Moth and then they'd do 60 hours on the Harvard as their advanced trainer, and then they'd hop into something else, whether it be a Spitfire in Europe, an Avenger in the Pacific, um, or something like that, or a Dauntless or a Corsair. But it was basically the stepping stone to the top-line aircraft, the Harvard. After the war, the RNZAF began using it as the primary and advanced trainer. And so a young pilot, or a young trainee pilot that walked off the street in 1970, for example, was put straight in the front cockpit of the Harvard. And that's all they ever knew. Um, The RNZF had 212 Harvards, and they managed to destroy 70 of them in training accidents of one shape or form. One of the characteristics of the Harvard uh, that everybody knows about is the ability to ground loop. Uh, They've got a very um, distinct ability to ground loop. And that's because the tail wheel is locked into an indent that looks like that. And if it gets a side loading on it, if the pylane's a little bit crooked, what happens is it walks its way out of that indent to the point where it's freely spinning. Uh, and if you've ever seen the photograph of the one at Masterton, I think it's a classic one, it's just about ground looped and the tailwheel's 90 degrees, and that's typical of that. This one and most of the Harvards in New Zealand now have a tailwheel lock, so it cannot break out uh, unless the control stick's fully forward. So that's a great uh, bone. But the RNZ have had lots and lots of ground loops here at Ahakia, and they instituted a special study as to why they were happening. (coughs) And basically it was because they weren't landed straight in most cases, so any side loading could immediately cause problems. There's a famous story here at Ahakia of a very experienced pilot that landed a Harvard on runway 09, which is the big long one out there. And just as he got to the intersection of 15, which is the cross runway, he ground looped it and he went right round in a circle and came out pointing down the other runway and just called the tower very quietly and asked for takeoff clearance. <laughs> 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 I believe that's true, Kelly <laughs> <Elliot, Yeah, laughs> yeah, Check with your dad.
0: Yeah,
1: it did happen here apparently but that's that's one of those things. So um, the RNZAF still operates a Harvard here at Ohakea which is the historic flight Harvard NZ1015 which is being flown tomorrow by squadron leader uh, Cochrane yeah Cochrane, Peter Cochrane isn't it yeah <laughs> um, and that will be on display tomorrow and of course this one won't be, this will be staying in the hangar because there's plenty of Harvards out there um, and I think the, the Warbirds Harvards, the Roaring Forties are uh, flying tomorrow, they've been practising today as well, so that's a little bit about that Harvard, anybody got any questions I can help you with on that Harvard? Yep the colour scheme that's on it is the RNZF scheme other than the cowl. Uh, This aircraft used to belong to Ray Hanna and one of the things that they were preparing it for, which is why it had the sort of the Dulux top coat, uh, was for adventure flying at Wanaka. They were going to take people for rides. Uh, So one of the things he chose to do is paint the cowl like that. And we had a bit of a straw poll at Wanaka last time and asked people in the crowd and everybody seemed to want to keep it so we've kept it so yeah. it's not authentic the cow's not authentic it bears no relation to anything RNZF it bears relation to Ray Hannah. So, which so is a little bit history yes. in itself <laughs> <laughs> so I mean it's 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 a good point I think Dave made the point that that's Ray Hanna's Harvard mm, yeah, uh, he yeah. actually owned that one and uh, flew it um, and here it is back at a Hakea. Uh this that particular Harvard finished its days at Ohakia, It finished its days as a forward air control aircraft. Um, there's a lovely picture over there in the corner of it flying over the Ruapehu, as you'll see. Um, and it was one of the Harvards that was in the last Harvard fly past at Wigram. When the, and there's a little plaque up on the wall about that when they retired them. As I said, it's flown continuously since then. When it was surplus out, uh, it was sold to John Matheson in central Otago, and he had it for 28 years. And, and did t- 200 hours in it in that time. So that aircraft is pretty much still as it came out of the surface apart from the uh, little paint job. Sorry, that's a long answer to your short question. <laughs> <laughs> your comment about the uh, supersonic gas on the yeah. speed of the props. We
3: used to farm at Hororata, which was inland. Oh, yes.
1: In, yeah
3: We had two plantations that gave them a Runway for practicing, and if you were in a tractor there, you'd never hear them coming, and they come down engine virtually ticking over, and then pull the throttle back and hell the new
2: take
1: a duck (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they um, of course as you you notice with the Harvard, you'll notice tomorrow when they go past you with that Doppler effect, it changes as soon as they get parallel with you, the speed of the sound changes, and quite interesting. But that's the old Harvard buzzsaw, lovely aeroplane really. I I mean, I I've told the story before that. When I first got to fly it, I hated it with a passion. And the main reason I hated it, because it had hated me. <laughs> simple was that. A very scary airplane to get into for the first time, because it's noisy, smoky, um, rattly, and wants to do all sorts of things that you don't really know what it wants to do. So but that's a good, good airplane other than that. Any other questions on the Harvard? <coughs> that was very simple. All right, behind us. Probably the first time many of you have seen this, Uh, some of you might have seen it in a previous life in New Zealand, but this is a 1945 Grumman Avenger. It was built by General Motors at Trenton, New Jersey, Sopranos country, Um, and it was built about two months before the end of the Second World War. So it's technically a wartime Avenger, but when they built it, they sent it over to San Diego and it was used for training new uh, carrier pilots. Uh, it had a long and interesting history with the US Navy. It served at a number of US Naval stations, Pearl Harbor, um, New York, Norfolk, uh, San Diego, and somewhere on the Gulf. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. And it was with the US Navy, and it actually had a, two tours on carriers. It was actually in its log books, and we've got the log books for this aircraft uh, from factory to today. Once again, this aircraft has an uninterrupted flying history. Another one that's interesting. It goes right back to 1945. We've got the logbooks showing even who flew it at the factory. All that sort of stuff, which is quite unusual. Um, It makes life a bit simpler for the CAA, obviously. So (coughs) it was built um, as a torpedo bomber, and this particular aircraft is very original. It's one of the reasons why this particular one is here is because it's very original. When it was (coughs) surplus out of the US Navy in 1954... Um, they converted it into a crop sprayer, or a bug sprayer, an insecticide sprayer. <clears throat> Luckily, the way they did that was they got an old surplus long-range fuel tank that fitted in the bomb bay, and they converted it with a pump to spray insecticide. And they went spraying something called budworm, which was infecting the uh, forests in Colorado at the time. So somebody bought the surplus, probably paid $1,000 for it or something like that, or $500, Got one of the old surplus tanks, put a pump on it and, and went off and did 130 hours spraying in the next sort of two weeks, um, which is quite interesting because those of you that uh, know a little bit about Guy Stevenson, he's got uh, about 19,600 hours flying. He's got uh, more time on air trainers than virtually anybody in the Air Force because he's ferried most of the ones that the Thai Air Force built. Um, <coughs> so he, I think 82 was it? 80, how many? Uh, it 60. 62. About 82 air trainers <laughs> flown from Hamilton to Thailand. Two Good a night. week. Okay? <laughs> hey? Yeah. Um, so, Guy's experience is a lot of uh, experience with um, crop spraying, including, w- which I still find something hard to fathom, is 5,000 hours night spraying, flying at night. And if you've ever watched on YouTube, look up... Jones, is it? Jones? Yeah, Jones, yeah. Jones night spraying on YouTube and watch them flying those big air tractors about the same size as the Avenger at night in the dark and spraying accurately on tracks <coughs> and so on. So <coughs> this is really just a big agricultural aircraft in many respects. It spent as much time uh, as an ag aircraft as it did as a US Navy aircraft. Uh, it did a little bit of fire bombing, but luckily for us it didn't do a lot of fire bombing because that tended to be a little bit corrosive on the airframe otherwise. Um, The other thing that's nice about the conversion they did is they didn't hack it around. A lot of the Avengers had the back cut down because they didn't need it just to make them a bit easier. And they basically cut it back to a single cockpit aircraft. This one was never butchered around. All they did actually was cover in the glass at the back and take the turret out. So you'll see if you look in the back, which you can do if you stick your head in the back, uh, you'll see it's all pretty original in there. (coughs) <coughs> apart from the stepladder, which we need to fold the wings tomorrow and Sorry, the, it no it can stay there, and the starter pack for the Spitfire, which means we don't have to carry it all the way across, so that's all in the back <laughs> of back rack for the and a, <laughs> yeah, that's another little endearing side effect of this aircraft. Um, <coughs> so the Avenger was uh, first flew just after Pearl Harbor, which is one of the reasons why it's got the name Avenger. It was intended to be... Uh, and it was a very successful aeroplane. The first outings of the Avenger weren't that successful. They lost a lot of them at somewhere, other... Midway. Midway, that's right. They all lost most of them. But it proved to be a very, very good aircraft. It's very strong. It's very big. It's very heavy. And it can carry quite a useful bomb load. They could. Ca- they typically carried up to about 2,000 pounds. But te- technically, it could be loaded up with about 6,000 pounds. And... It was a very, uh, could take a full-size torpedo, 21-foot torpedo. And if you have a look, you'll see, you can stick your head around, look in the bomb bay. Uh, there's a lot of room in there. Legend uh, has it, they used to put a lot of beer in there as well, to take the beer to the frontline aerodromes. Um, a crew of three, so you normally had a pilot, and in the back you had a navigator. And in the bottom, down below, there's another seat down below, which was for the gunner and bombardier. And there's a little window in the back where you can see into the bomb bay. And in the early Avengers, the TBFs, they also had a gun down the bottom just in front of the (coughs) the tail wheel. But the later ones, like this TBM, they had to delete that. They decided it wasn't needed. (coughs) Those of you that know your history will know that the RNZAF operated 48 Avengers. They were TBF models, which is the Grumman-built ones. Most of the Avengers were built by General Motors, by Eastern Aircraft uh, Division of General Motors. So by far, most of the 9,000 built were built by Easton. And this is one of them, a TBM. Um, Very subtle differences. I think I've seen on the forum, somebody pointed out the cowl differences. Uh, And there's a couple of other subtle differences. But essentially, they're the same, fundamentally, the same airplane. There's very little difference from start to finish. There's about 16 flying in the world. Um, Obviously, uh, this one is now flying in New Zealand. We flew it last on Saturday. We did our final rehearsal, which I hope you'll enjoy tomorrow. One of the things that Guy will be doing tomorrow was doing a simulated carrier landing. Uh, We don't have the hook and all that, but you'll enjoy it because um, Flight Sergeant Nick Wilson and Sergeant Will Comer from the historic flight are going to be the landing signals officer and do the bats, the orange bats. (laughs) So if you're in that corner by the uh, taxiway that comes into the tower, um, (coughs) he's going to come into about 70 feet, Guy, isn't it? And then put all the power back on. It's pretty noisy. It's good fun. Uh, and then you will go and a land off after that. And the other thing is, at the end of the display, the Avenger will taxi in uh, not too far from the tower there and fold the wings and unfold them. Uh, as you'll see, we're doing that all marshalled as well for safety, so you'll see all that as well. So it's quite good. It's quite entertaining. Um, as I said, the RNZF operated 48 uh, Grumman Avengers. Uh, up, Basically, most of them based out of Bougainville. Um, and this... Particular one at the moment will be repainted in the markings of Plonky, as it was in New Zealand before. I'll tell you a little bit about that in a minute. But at Bougainville, one of the things, or well, the two things they used to do is uh, drop bombs. The Avengers dropped more bombs than torpedoes. They were used mostly as a bomber. They're a very good general purpose bomber. The RNZF ones dropped lots of bombs, particularly around ball. And the other thing that they did, which is quite interesting and it connects once again back to the agricultural uh, life of this aircraft, is When the Americans and the Allies advanced through the islands, they left big pockets of Japanese troops stranded on islands. They'd cut off the supplies to those Japanese troops, and what the Japanese troops did was they planted gardens, you know, to try and keep themselves fed. And what the RNZF did (coughs) was they put those tanks back in the bomb bay and they sprayed them with diesel. And every so often, the guy in the back, the gun at the back there, would say, fire a few tracer rounds off and set it on fire. It's all in Wally Ingham's book, which is quite interesting, about 30 Squadron. So that's what they did. They did a lot of bombing at Rabaul, and the original Plonky was lost at Rabaul, not far from Rabaul, was shot down there. Um, this particular marking scheme that you see today is of an aircraft based off U- of the USS 6 This aircraft was never based on the USS 6 It's just an imaginary scheme. And the next job we've got after Wanakos not sometime after Wanaka, we had hoped to do it before the show, but it, technically it didn't work out that way, is we're going to strip all that paint off this aircraft right back to bare metal, and it's going to be repainted as NZ2518, which is the plonky aircraft, as it was in New Zealand. What's surprised me a little bit since, it's been in, since we've had it here, which is only a month, only arrived a month ago, and we'll talk about that in a minute, um, is that everybody thinks of it as plonky, even though it was never plonky. Mm. Plonky was shot down in 1940-something or other, Mm. (coughs) and the crew were lost, unfortunately. So we're going to repaint it back to how it was uh, in brand new paint, and in fact it's going to be the only layer of paint on it, because we found towards the back there are 12 layers of paint, which is another reason we think we can take a couple of hundred kilograms (laughs) (laughs) off it. Just to give you some other little bits of information, this is the largest single-engine aircraft of World War II. N- there were none bigger and I think the common reaction from people in the hangar here and they walk in they say well that's bigger than I thought yeah. I know yeah. some of you Baz was, I saw was he's worked on them before yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. but um, when you walk in there and I, I had the same respect I, I'd bought the aircraft before I'd seen it which is unusual I'd sent my engineer <laughs> over to <his, laughs> it's true um, yeah I, well that's it comes with the insanity but <laughs> keep taking the tablets um, <laughs> and when I first saw it at Toowoomba, I thought, ooh, that's bigger than I thought. And when it went away, when Guy and I went back to collect it and had a look at it again, thought, "Oh, that's bigger than I thought. But the hangar was always designed for it, so we've got the clearance for it, and we can get it in and out without worrying about the blades and things like that. Um, so that's a little bit. The engine at the front is a right cyclone, and it produces 1,950 horsepower, about 400 more than the Spitfire. Um, now, the surprising thing about the Avenger is we, were, we cruised across the Tasman at pretty much the same cruising speed as the Spitfire. Two and a half Yeah, yeah. So it's, a lot of people think of it as a slow, lumbersing aircraft, but it gets along at quite a rate of knots. We went from Toowoomba to Lord Howe in two and a half hours, Lord Howe to Norfolk two and a half, and Nor- uh, Norfolk to Carey in three hours, and Kerikiri to Ahakia in an hour fifty. Something like that. So it's a pretty quick aeroplane, very comfortable aeroplane I found because I was sitting in the back doing nothing. <laughs> very nice. I was the water boy. I passed the water forward to the pilot there. But that was a wonderful trip. A, you know, lifetime experience for me, something Guy's done 800 times, I think. But uh, it's the first time for me. We can a- honestly say we went across in a 777, came back in an Avenger. Not bad. Three hours that way, nine and a half this way. <laughs> um, the other thing that I found incredible about it is the noise level in it is absolutely unbelievable it's deafening inside that thing and when you actually get up in the turret, you know you won't have the chance tonight but if you're sitting up in the turret you've also got a 50 cal machine gun sitting that far from your ear so I'm staggered they must have all come out very deaf um, electric turret Grumman design turret it's quite clever piece of engineering it all works apart from the electrics we haven't tried that yet but the mechanics all work um the bombay as you can see is very long. You can have a look and stick your head under there. Uh, just watch the tow bar. If you walk into it you'll hurt yourself. Watch the propeller tips, as I said. And it we cleaned it today, but it might still be it might still be fractionally greasy. There you go, there you go. <laughs> it's a, job, it's a lifelong it? career. Yeah. Okay. Um, you're welcome to have a look. I think I've, I'll make sure the back door's open. You can stick your head in, but please don't climb in. Uh, once again, as I said, this is all ready to go tomorrow. It's all airworthy and signed off, so we don't want to have any last-minute snags or anything. But I'm more than happy, I'm sure I forgot to tell you something about the Avenger, but more than happy to answer any questions. This one was also um, belonged to Ray Hanna, didn't it? Yeah, so once again. <laughs> and uh, just coincidentally, this particular aircraft, after it finished with the US Navy, it went spraying right through to 19, nine, 1988. And it was converted back to its full military configuration in in California and delivered to the old flying machine company, Ray Hanna's company. And it was there from 1988 to 1992 when it was sold to Sir Tim Wallace and came out to Wanaka. And it was at Wanaka until 1998, if I got my figures right. And whence it was sold to Randall McFarlane and Rex Dovey, flew it from uh, Wanaka to Auckland to Norfolk to... Lord Howe to to Wimba. funny, and it came back from to So it's one of um, one of uh, five, four or five avengers in New Zealand. This is the only flying one, of course. Sorry. Any other questions? What was
3: your fuel burn in the nine-hour trip across the? You really area? want to know? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, it, we burned about 300 liters an hour. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So each time we stop, we put about 800 liters in it. and yeah, it wasn't pretty because, at Lord Howe, all the fuel is vivid and is pushed up the beach. <laughs> and let's just say that's reflected in the pump price. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it was a great, great experience, all the same. So we did 3,200 kilometres, and we burnt about uh, 2,400 litres of fuel. So just about a litre per kilometre, and about one gallon, or about four litres of oil per hour. But that tank that's up behind the engine's got a capacity of 32 gallons. About 120 litres. It's
2: about the same as a fuel tank. Yeah, it can take an oil.
1: Um, it's a messy old girl. I tell you what, for lots of reasons, the right Cyclone doesn't have some of the things that the Wasp does in terms of getting the oil out of the bottom of the engine and back up where it should be. This all stays there. So, like this morning when we had a bit in there this morning, didn't we? And it came out. <laughs> Man, it came out. <laughs> so you get used to that. But what else can I tell you about it? Any other questions about the, event? You're saying about the name
2: yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure
1: it had its first flight within a few days of Pearl Harbor and they chose the name Avenger.
2: So,
3: what does it say about Homer? <laughs> 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 yeah, very,
2: very,
1: very <laughs> Yeah, um, not, <coughs> not mentioned in dispatches, so no. <laughs> I'll, t-
3: I'll tell you one thing. Um, Brenda mentioned that I was involved in the restoration of the RMZ Museum's Avenger and a, um, a shiver went up my spine when he mentioned the number of coats of paint because. She had eight coats of paint, and we spent about six months hand scraping. If you look at the size of it, mm. and uh, the worst one was the US Navy blue yeah. underneath, it, was, it stuck like glue. You put, you put the chemical paint strip on and leave it and come back and go like that, and it was like you hadn't put any on. It was just so... And I must also say thank you for bringing this to New Zealand, because it was that Avenger at Wigram that got me into loving old aeroplanes. So, yeah. Okay. I never thought be closer I'd be close to one, of would this again, apart yeah, from one no, in New Zealand. Well, I, I've, so I've always had my fantastic.
1: own it's just taken a while to find the right one, and you know, one of the practicalities is not an aircraft you can easily ship, have a look at that? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you go along to your shipping company and say, can you put that on your ship? And they say, no. So ship on the Earth? Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although, to be fair, it first arrived in New Zealand in the hold of a ship. How on yeah. earth they did that, wow. I don't know. But um, once this one became available it took some time to secure it it was easy enough to fly it and of course we um, were lucky enough to have Guy here who was prepared to go across and uh, quickly convert onto it and we went out to a place called St George which i have never been to and probably never go to again um, just for a proving flight to make sure that the fuel consumption and the oil was right and then we 10 to 6 in the morning we left Toowoomba wake, ev- wake everybody up and headed for Lord Howe, a great trip so, any, else, any other questions I can ask about the Avenger? Dave?
0: Is, is the blue and white paint on this the same paint that we put on yes. when, when it was painted? Yes. Yeah. It's lasted, right? It? It's it has. 93? Um, no, uh,
1: yeah, 93. The only complication we found, we were going to try and we, we had scheduled to repaint it before today, but unfortunately the problem was the paint you used in 93 was an acrylic lacquer, and the modern compound paints... Don't go over top of it very well. If you have a look down the back, you'll see where the 309 is. It's cracked oh. because the the lacquer expands and contracts, and the top paints are so hard these days they don't. So they give by cracking. So the advice from the paint shop was no, best not to do that and we'll put another coat on it. We'll so we've got we're going to water uh, water uh, the new technology for taking paint off with water. So it'll go back to be a metal. So, but other than that, it is the original paint. It's had a few little things added to it. The yellow cowl, the 309s and all that. But that, the rest of that is the original paint. It's um, cleaned up quite well, Guy, hasn't it? Good job, Dave. Yeah, well right. <laughs> well, I, I didn't
0: <laughs> choose the paint. I <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's 20 years ago. Paint, paint technology has changed quite a bit yeah. now. and The modern ones are more epoxy-based or 2-polyurethane, pot all that sort of stuff. Right, any other questions on the Avenger? Have
3: you... Fallen off it yet?
1: Climbing, no, up, trying I, to get
3: up because
1: <laughs> I went. Uh, well, no, that's not correct. I have. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went to climb up the, the museum's one, yeah. and on the. Geez, my memory's going out. The right hand side, it's got the kick.
0: Yeah.
3: Push in and then make a grab for the handle, yeah. and I missed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bang, ended up on the, on the grass watching it. I hate to do it on the concrete. This side's
2: the worst because it doesn't have
1: the kick. It's, it's the got the step,
3: stirrups. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I always use the other side.
1: I must tell a little sort of embarrassing story when we got to to George um, i got, being sitting in the back there and doing nothing, I was sort of just looking at the scenery all the way while Guy was doing all the hard work, but uh, you've got two ways you can get out from the back, you can go downstairs and out the door which is the gentleman's entrance or you can come out on the wing which is the dork's entrance for me (laughs) that particular day, the pilot has no choice I should point out, so I, I walked down to the back of the wing and I thought oh that's not very far down there, I'll just jump off Big mistake. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a long. You know that sensation you get when you're sinking, and you <laughs> <Yeah>. think, "Oh!" <laughs> and of course, I managed to fall backwards on my backside and make a real dork of myself. That was all right. It was a good fun day.
2: <laughs>
1: Any time you like. Yep. One of the nice things about uh, the Avenger is that we can do lots of things manually without starting the engine, which is lucky in here. Um, but the simplest one is the Bombay doors because the wings is a huge exercise and we've destroyed about three planes doing it.
3: So the cockpit's but pretty much the same as the TBFs, so you got the yeah, hump absolutely identical.
1: The Completely stocked, never been modified. And you can see how far, guy up is, uh, how far up guy is there, it's a long way up. If you fall off that wing, you hurt yourself, guaranteed.
3: Wish onto on to
1: All of these things happen. Yeah, all clear. All of these things happen a lot more quickly with the engine running. Well, one of the interesting things about the Avenger, the Bombay doors can be opened at any speed. They were rated to be opened at any speed that the aircraft could do.
2: So, this guy furiously pumping the He's furiously pumping.
1: If you saw him extending the wings, he—you could come back in half an hour and he'd still be furiously pumping. Thanks for reminding me, actually. I nearly mean, forgot. Just a g- good point. This gentleman here has just reminded me that the, uh, this, the Avenger was used for the first top dressing trials in New Zealand in ni- September 1948 here at Ohakia. NZ 2504, the one that's at the museum, was used for those top dressing trials. And then they moved on to Hood Aerodrome at Masterton and continued the trials. And what they did was they took an old converted long-range bomb tank and converted it to drop superphosphate. And they dropped it Oh, that's my light. Don't worry about that.
3: It's <laughs> <laughs> just, just a bomb come loose. Yeah. <laughs> it'll come
1: out. It'll yeah.
3: stick your hand. No, nah, it'll be in. right.
1: It'll drop out. That'll be the bomb.
3: Yeah.
1: Bomb's away. Hope it's not fused. One of the problems they did have in the war was sometimes the bombs would <laughs> drop. <the> oh, <door>. yeah. <laughs> they'd, they'd drop and uh, sit on the doors. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah, and they've had a, they had a couple of instances where they opened the doors, because the doors are so strong, mm. they opened the doors and the bomb dropped out. <laughs> sometimes with not very good results. I
3: don't know if you know this about the museums adventure, but but um, the hinges were stuffed on the bombo yeah. doors, so they found out that Hercules leading edge hinges were the same. <laughs> <So> that's <laughs> what they used.
1: would not surprise me.
3: We actually found um, super phosphate from the top dressing tools in the tail cone, yeah. yeah, I heard yeah,
2: that, yeah. Amazing.
1: locking pins <laughs> the wings No. <laughs> no, it's a very complex hydraulic system for the wings. It's quite a work of art. There's several stages of locking and interlocking, and there's a final... Open, open the, yeah. the well, open, thanks, yeah. And the lights come out. Well done. <laughs> thanks. Okay, any other questions on the Avenger? Then we'll move on to the Spitfire, and then I'll let you have a good wander around and stop talking. Right to...
2: like
1: Guy, do you want to tell them what it's like to fly?
2: Uh, very heavy. <laughs> um, if we compare it to a Corsair, for example, which is similar horsepower, similar aileron size, the throw of the stick in the Corsair goes down like two stories, down to about the bottom of the bomb. bay. the Avenger. It goes to about the bottom of your ankle, so you've got no leverage. It has no servo cap on the collar, so it's very, very heavy, which is what it was designed to be, stable. Uh, there's a lot of weight for it, a lot of mass, but uh, and a lot of oil. <laughs> but other than that, it's uh, a beautiful oil. Field.
1: Guy used to be a seven-stone weakling before <laughs> <laughs> he started building up. <laughs> <laughs> don't fall off it. Yeah. Okay, you happy with that? Yeah. You've you got plenty of opportunity. We'll be here till 9 o'clock. Most so of so us was working in front of a computer watching you taking <laughs> over here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the
2: comment was, "You're quite fast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, one thing I forgot
1: to mention before um, is don't go through that gap there if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. we ended up with it being a bit narrow, but that's alright. Right, um, I think most of you probably know as much as I do about this aircraft, but just a little bit of uh, history for those who are not too familiar. This particular Spitfire is a Mark 9. It was built in September 1944 at Brom- uh, Castle Bromwich, and it was after it was built and test flown, it was shipped out to Casablanca, where they uh, re- reassembled it. They used uh, workers who were, if I remember correctly, the uh, people who'd been exiled from Spain. I can't remember, something like that. But that was rebuilt, uh, reassembled at Casablanca, and it was shipped over to Italy, and it served the last six months of the Second World War in the area of northern Italy, around Treviso. (laughs) Um, At the end of the war, the Royal Air Force had lots and lots of spitfires they didn't have anything to do with. They sent the crews home, and this was one of 200 and something Spitfires that were left in Italy, 220, I think, that were left in Italy that the RAF didn't want, and they gifted to the post-war Italian Air Force. So this aircraft served with three Royal Air Force squadrons, including the famous Treble One squadron, uh, which has just been disbanded, I understand. Um, and it served with 225 squadron, and we think, but we're not sure, it served with 254 squadron as well. Um, after the war, it served with the Italian Air Force, and when the Italians had finished with it, they refurbished it and sold it to the Israeli Air Force. So, this aircraft then went to Israel, and when they'd flown it for about three years, uh, they refurbished it again and sold it to the Burmese Air Force. And it went out to Burma and was delivered out to Burma, uh, ferried out to Burma by British pilots, and it Immediately went to war with the Chinese. It's one of the few Spitfires that's actually fought two different wars, and it's one of the few Spitfires that served in four different aircraft, uh, four different air forces. Now, when the Burmese had finished with it, it, they last flew it in July 1956, and what saved it was they decided to put it up on a pole. And there's a photograph on the back wall, you'll see it sitting up on a pole. Um, Basically it sat out in the elements for 26 years, rotting away, uh, deteriorating, stripped out, gutted, souvenired, all of those things. So when we got it from the person in the US that bought it out from Burma, um, it was, as you've seen, those of you that had a look at the early part of it, it was pretty much a wrecked halt. But the nice thing about it, people looked at it and said, oh it's got no instruments. But we didn't care about them because you can get them. But what it had throughout it was all the little fittings and fixtures and bits and pieces and undercarriage and undercarriage pintles and all of the things which are worth their weight in gold in the Spitfire world. So it's standing on the undercarriage that it came from Boomerang, for example. Um, We spent five and a bit years restoring it. Many of you know the story. And it's now been flying for three years. It had its third anniversary on the 18th of March. Uh, It's been flying... Um, uninterrupted pretty much for three years and hopefully you carry on that way Um, those of you that also familiar with the markings standard fighter command scheme that we've repainted it in it's not carrying one of the identities that it uh, had when it was a real aircraft if you like it's carrying the markings of my uncle aldea who i had a lot of time for and it's his markings when he was wing leader at biggin hill So that's the background to the markings. I think most of you know that story. Up the front, we've got a lovely piece of work up there. We've got the covers on the bottom ones um, for lots of reasons. We had over 800 people through the hangar last year, and if everybody grabbed the prop, there'd be a lot of uh, gum and gunk on it. So we have to keep them covered. I'm sorry, but you can see up the top, they're made of wood. Most of you know the story of where they're made. Germany, which is most unusual. The only place you can get Spitfire propeller blades now is Germany. And the other thing, which we always, um, if we have any veterans in the hang, we always get out early on, so we don't, so they forget by a bit later on, is that the um, Air New Zealand did a lot of studies for the Hurricane that they rebuilt for Sir Tim Wallace about what was the best coolant fluid to use in a Rolls Royce Merlin, and the one they decided was Honda Ultra. So that engine's running Honda Ultra. So it's got German propeller blades, Japanese coolant fluid. (laughs) And just to add insult to injury, the radio and the transponder are made in Germany as well. (laughs) But if you look in the cockpit, uh, you probably won't be able to see, but the radio and the transponder we hide in the map case. So when the map case lid is closed, there's nothing in there that wouldn't have been in there in 1944 or 43 other than the G-meter. In 1943, they didn't care about G because they went and got another one. And the average lifetime of a Spitfire was 40 hours. 40 hours. The average lifetime of a Lancaster bomber was 44. And something like 12,000 man-hours in the factory went into making a Spitfire that lasted for 40 hours on average. Um, So they didn't worry about a lot of things, but we do. Um, One of the things that we've done with this Spitfire, if you see in the cockpit on the far wall, there's a placard there that says all the things you can't do. For example, you will never see the Spitfire looping. Well, you'll never see it looping twice by the same pilot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You won't see it doing barrel rolls, any of those sorts of things. We don't do that sort of, and it's got a top speed limit of 270 knots, even though it's capable of 405. Um, And we limit the G to 4, even though it's stressed for 9G, which would make most of us unconscious. So that is a little bit about that history of this Spitfire. Um, we went to some considerable trouble to keep it original uh, it's very hard in a rebuild to uh, not have to chuck stuff away and unfortunately we did most of the skins that you see are new they have to be because it's a stressed skin aircraft most of the skins we think would have been ok but we weren't sure and unless you have a full history it's very hard to justify or put a pilot's life at risk by saying well saved a few bucks there but oh, look what happened have seen plenty of examples of that Uh, The spars are new. They were made in Stoke-on-Trent, which is the hometown of Reginald Mitchell, RJ Mitchell, by Supermarine Aero. Um, But most of the fuselage frames and most of the wing ribs, virtually all of the wing structure is original. It's a testament to the good quality of the British aluminium. The undercarriage structure, apart from the wheels, completely original. The tyres, brand new. Dunlop still make them. They charge a fortune, but they still make them. (laughs) So we can get brand new tyres any time we like, which is quite nice. Um, The radiators were rebuilt, but they're pretty much the original radiator housings and casings and everything. Uh, And there's a lot on that aircraft. I don't know how to work out the percentages of it. If you ignore the skin, it's probably about 80% original. If you include the skin, whatever figures you want to do from that. But many of you, I think most of you have probably seen it flying. The objective we have is to have it flying long after I've dropped off the perch. That's the objective. Um, all of these aircraft in the hangar, apart from the wind gel, which Guy wants to take home, um, are here to stay. We have no uh, plans other than to have them here, based here at Ahakea and operating in New Zealand. The Avenger's here to stay. Um, you know, if I drop off the perch, kids might have them on eBay the next day, but that's not a <laughs> um, But <clears throat> have a good look around. I'm more than happy to answer any questions on the Spitfire. Uh, you
0: said that it's um, been three years since it uh, returned yep. to flight how many hours has it done in
1: that time oh about 60 Okay. yeah it's All pretty right. worn out really <laughs> <laughs> well it, it's funny you should say that because the engine is only good for 500 hours yeah. mm-hmm. so when you think about you know, Well, it only lasted 40 hours in the war. well they didn't worry you see you, you <laughs> go back to the second world war they didn't care you know, you, you broke the propeller you go to get another one you know, you, the em- engine's not right you put another one in there um, all those sorts of things, we cannot do that now you know, the, the engine uh, is precious, Rolls Royce Merlins, they made 250,000 of them but they're very rare now it's very hard to get a Rolls Royce Merlin unless you've already got one, we've got lucky to have another one over there, over the back as you'll see if you have a look, that one over the back's out of an RNZF Mosquito as a matter of interest it's uh, an earlier
2: mark when did the rest of it arrive? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we all wish that, don't
1: we? <laughs> um, okay. Any other questions on the spitfire? The timber. The I don't know. It's some very hard wood. It's it's actually I shouldn't say this, but I saw Doug, one of Doug Brooker's blades after the mastodon, and they're just little like half inch square uh, laminated sections with a brass uh, hub in the you know, up the middle. But basically they're just hard wood um, shaped to suit. And they, they're made as a set too. They're made as a set of four. Um, you can, if you want to buy one, you can buy a nice new Toyota Corolla for about the same price. With one None of, of those blades. <laughs> oh. <No>. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the hub in there is an original Doughty Rotal hub. We've got one of the last that we could find anywhere. Original Doughty Rotal hubs, not a new manufacturer one. Um, So that's an amazing piece of technology inside that spinner. It's quite amazing what happens in there. I I don't quite understand it. Um, But as I said, the rest of it is as original as we could make it. Many of you will know the story about why it's a square mirror. Um, A lot of people don't realise that the Spitfire, when they were first built, they didn't have a mirror on them. Because all the Royal Air Force uh, doctrine at the time said was... Gentlemen don't shoot you from behind. They'll always come from the front. <laughs> so they never put rear vision mirrors on Spitfires. In fact, a lot of the pilots used to get them out of their motorcars. And my uncle took his out of his car. Or well, somebody's car. He probably <laughs> flogged the <it>, bigger <but laughs> He took it out of his sports car. And they used a lot of those flat mirrors. And for the rest of the war, he preferred the flat mirror. Very early ones, they put inside the cockpit. Um, but later, in the factory, they started putting those round mirrors on them. But he preferred the square mirror. We had quite a search to find an original square mirror for a Spitfire. The round ones are uh, not common, but they're easier to find. So that was one of the details that we tried to replicate from his aircraft. And there's photographs of his aircraft on the back wall from Biggin Hill. You'll see the likeness. What, wing is, this Pardon? what, what wing is this? It, well, the Mark 9s actually only had one wing. There's a lot of myth about all of that. You know, the earlier ones, the Mark 5s, had the uh, B wing and the C wing. Uh, the Mark 9s all had the equivalent of a C-wing, but they didn't actually have anything other than a C-wing. The 16s had the E-wing, but the E-wing, the only difference is the armament. You'll notice we've got the long cannons. You compare it to, say, Doug Brooker's Spitfire, which is over the other side of the base. Um, that's because these two positions could be either cannon or 50 kill machine gun. So if they put a... Uh, 50 cal position and they usually put the cannon on the outside and the, to fit the cannons in they staggered them a bit by about 9 inches So this or bit, 12 inches so that section there is to allow for the fact that the cannon's further forward uh, so this is looks a bit like a C wing but it's not it's actually called a universal wing uh, those of you that are familiar with the clipped wing Spitfires only difference is they just unclip the wingtips There are two bolts that hold them on so it's a Mark Nine wing and they only ever had one Mark Nine wing. Common misconception. They had no such thing. It's often called a Mark Nine C because the Coast equivalent is a C wing. But there's no such thing as a Mark Nine anything other than a Mark Nine. Interestingly. Do you want to give a bit of a plug for your book on the Spitfire? Oh, if you like Go on. <laughs> 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 if you would like to read in more detail the history of haircut, <laughs> then you can buy a lovely book called Spitfire Return to Flight, which uh, has sold uh, about 3,300 <coughs> copies so far, all around well, the world. It's yeah, it's done well. Yeah. So that's available from your local bookseller, at a reasonable price, I hope. Uh, full of colour, full of pictures, and words, <laughs> which I wrote myself. Um, any other questions on the Spitfire? You mentioned the... Um Blades comes to a set. Does that mean if you have to replace one, you replace all of them? Well, they're balanced and made as a set. So yeah. the technique is to replace the yeah. lot, and that's generally the principle. You can you can avoid that, but you think of the centrifugal force yeah. of a yeah. 10.4 foot wing, a uh, diameter circle, and those blade tips are doing about 680 miles an hour at takeoff speed. Um, so if it's slightly out of balance, it'll eventually shake itself to bits and causes long-term damage. So that's why they make them and balance them as a set. Um, yep. Anything else on the Spitfire?
3: Very um, that you were coming to grips with the, the Harbour. Do you think you'd like to have a go yourself one day?
1: Oh uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, it's not a toy. I think I've mm. always taken. I, I I've been through fi- five years of heartache with the rebuild of this, so I know how valuable it is. I know how precious it is. Uh, so. I'm very happy at the moment with Squadron Leader Parrot flying it, he'll be flying it tomorrow.
3: He puts on a good display. Yeah, so it's a
1: very lovely display, so hopefully he'll get a chance to do it tomorrow, uh, depending on how the program's going for time. But you'll see both Spitfires flying tomorrow anyway, so about 2.15 I think it is, 2 o'clock. Um, yeah, so it's not a toy, it's a very precious uh, piece of history. Uh, once again, it's not destined to go anywhere but here. It's based here, at, as you know, at this hangar, and it's not going anywhere, not for sale. Um, and we fly it about once a month at the moment it's not a joyride aircraft you know Mm. if you want to go for a ride in it you have to be the pilot (laughs) and your chances of being the pilot are slim
0: (laughs) have you had a ride in the two-seater?
1: no no
0: okay the other thing i was going to ask is about um the historic flight how you've linked in with the historic flight
1: when, when, we, when we rebuilt uh, the Spitfire, uh, we were looking for somewhere to test fly, and uh, squadron leader Jim Rankin, who's Kelly's dad over there, Kelly, you all know Kelly Rankin, <laughs> uh, her dad is, uh, as you know, probably Jim, Jim Rankin's a hugely experienced uh, Air Force instructor and pilot, one of the best pilots you'll ever see, and uh, I was lucky enough to get some good Harvard time with him, which has certainly whipped me into shape. Um, he's when we were looking for somewhere to test fire. he just said to me casually one day he said why don't you do it here said, well you know being a civilian you think well that's not possible he said oh, i've got to ask some questions and he came back and said yeah but that's okay i'll write, write them a letter and they wrote me a letter and said yes that's all right so that was good uh, so we said well okay well best thing to do is we don't really want to pull the wings off and put them back on again can we bring it over here on a truck and finish it here yeah okay so they went through the motions and we got to finish it over at number one hangar, which is, you won't get to see tomorrow, but it's the far side of the base, and exactly you've had a look there, didn't you? Um, so it's the far side of the base where the air trainers are based. We did the last three months' work. We brought it over here on January the 15th on the back of a truck, and there's a photo down the back of that. Uh, if you were driving past on the highway at the time, you had a treat of your life. <laughs> you actually, actually say you went past bit Spitfire <laughs> at the same altitude. <laughs> Um, and which interestingly was the highest altitude it had been since 1956, which actually was 153 metres above sea level at, what's the place, Kelly? Mount, Mount Stewart. Um, sorry, this is a long-winded, silly story, but the, uh, um, basically then we test flew it, and we, then I got the concession to leave it there for a little while, while I worked out where we were going to build a hangar, and then, um... Once again, Squadron Leader Jim Rankin and Squadron Leader Peter Cochran said, why don't you leave it here? I think what they meant was... Can we fly? <laughs> I think what they meant was, you go and leave it here and your past will no longer work when you yes. come to come back. But <laughs> no, no, no. no, that's not true. Um, so we had a g- detailed discussion and the idea was floated down in Wellington amongst all the boffins down there and after 11 months of discussion with the lawyers they came up with an agreement where we could build this hangar which is called Biggin Hill um, and we're just about to add another 10 metres to it starting next month, so it'll be 50% bigger next time we come back mosquito. <laughs> as I said it'll be 50% bigger <laughs> um, so that's really, it's a, it's, a, it's a simple story in many ways but it all just happens when a sequence of good good uh, good people who put their put themselves out to go and ask the right questions within this huge bureaucracy called the Air Force. And here we are at Biggin Hill. Well done, eh? well
2: done.
3: Yeah, on the hill. Actually,
1: quite interesting, because we've got these 70-year-old aircraft watching over those new composite <laughs> helicopters down there. Any other questions on the Spitfire? That's nearly an hour of rattle away. Does it have the um, armament no. We No. All of the machine gun fittings are all in there, but we didn't bother putting machine guns in and we've got fuel tanks where the cannons would be. This aircraft, the Spitfire normally had 87 gallons. We've got 135, which means technically, on the right day, it can get to Wanaka non-stop. But we won't, we're going to Hokitika, I think, yeah, yeah. depending on the weather. We're going to go down past Hokitika, the west coast. So it's got a lot of range, which is good for New Zealand, because over the mountain areas, you don't want to be worrying about fuel. So we can fill it right up and, um, Last Wanaka, we stopped at Ashburton, uh, which is about the limit of the range for the Harv, but the Spitfire could easily have got to Wanaka that day, and the Avenger, of course, could get to probably uh, Invercargill, couldn't it, guys? <laughs> <laughs> Stuart, I <laughs> <Stewart-O- laughs> <laughs> not much place to land there, I don't think. But uh, so that's the Spitfire, folks. That's nearly an hour. It's a bit longer than I intended. I'm sorry about that. But have a good look around now. Just uh, a couple of housekeeping things. Once again, just remind you that um, you, you can't get in the aircraft. But you can stick your head in the back door of the Avenger. Um, you can stick your head in the Bombay if you like. But just remember, it's probably got a bit of grease and oil and we're not responsible for your clothes. Um, just watch your heads and so on and feet, particularly, the toe bars and things. Uh, take as many photos as you like and ask as many questions as you like and enjoy yourselves. OK? If you decide you want to head off early, uh, you can go any time you like now. You might probably want to rush out the door, but... Um, <laughs> make sure you go back out the way you came and you go out the far gate and you just press the button and tell them that you're just leaving the Spitfire hangar or leaving Biggin Hill and they'll let you out, okay, but don't be tempted to go anywhere else because, yeah, no you won't be, I will be it happened last year and it wasn't pleasant yeah, very friendly okay folks so have a good look around Help, uh, look, have a good look, I'll Retrieve my light and put it back in the bomb bay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. And I put a bit of a light in, the only one I could find in the back of the Avenger. You might be able to see a little bit, you can see up to the turret and so on and so forth. The turret's got an original 50 kill machine gun in it. We told the guy, customs guy it was a replica, didn't yeah. Oh, you did. Oh, you did. Oh, you They more.
3: Is that, is that a good idea, telling four members we'll be tapping one again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they were more worried about the Norfolk Island lawn beetles that uh oh, oh, that oh, took man. a ride with us from Norfolk oh, wow. on the back tail point. Yeah. OK, thank folks, you. have a good look around, take plenty of photos, Thanks enjoy so. yourself, yeah. and uh, we'll be here till 9, and then we're going to kick you out. Well, sure. Thanks, is well. it <laughs> quarter past 6 in the morning? This yeah, is yeah, moving. Yeah. Well, just on behalf of everybody
0: yeah. here, I just want to say thank you very much for this amazing opportunity.